What is up, Banter Mites? We have such a treat for you today. On the show, joining us is the director of Tarzan from 1999, Enchanted from 2007, and of course, the amazing, the incredible, legendary, comedic, animated movie from 1995 that features some phenomenal songs by Powerline. It's a goofy movie. And its director, Kevin Lima, will be joining us to chat all things Goofy Movie and a lot of his other work. And it is going to be so much fun. We had a blast doing this interview and we hope you guys enjoy. If you enjoy the interview, go follow Kevin Lima on Twitter. His handle is at GoofyMovieDIR, as in director, at GoofyMovieDIR on Twitter. But we're super excited for this episode and we know you guys will enjoy it. See you on the other side of the intro. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, how you how you been doing? How you handling this quarantine situation? I am. I'm doing fine, and I've been busier than I've ever been. To be quite really? honest, really. No, I don't know what it is. I think it has something to do with the fact that I can't tell my weekends from my weekdays, and I get in. I'm the kind of person anyway who always has to be doing something. Uh huh. So if I don't like purposefully like change my routine i will just completely work night and day oh man every single day yeah and and honestly i think other people doing it too because i've been getting more you know i I have a development company i don't know if you know that but we uh we my wife and i brenda chapman we develop movies animated live action hybrid movies Mm -hmm. and um I think other people are writing all the time because I've been getting in more scripts and <laughs> people we've been developing things with than ever before. That's great. So I think the writers just don't have the ability like to go to Starbucks or get out of the house <laughs> now. So they, so they write. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm supposing that the, the pre-production is probably up. Like the people wanting to get their movies pitched and get some things rolling is probably up, but then no, no studios are actually making movies right now. So that's kind of a roadblock at some point. They're not, they're not making movies as we all know, but, um, yeah. but development hasn't stopped. Yeah. You know, people are still hearing pitches. We're doing pitches over zoom. Yeah. Yeah. So zoom. they just figured out a new normal. <laughs> zoom stock, man. If you want to get some zooms, if you want to go up, zoom stock. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what's actually going to happen when this is all over, and all these studios have fifty projects they want to make, and there isn't enough. There aren't enough people to do it. There aren't enough crews to go out and make this stuff. Yeah. Well, hopefully that helps with some of the uh, the hiring. Uh, hopefully the hiring in those helps with some of the unemployment that's been going on too. So yeah, we'll right. see. I'm not qualified, we'll but I need a job. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should probably work on being qualified. Ah, dang it. Yep. <laughs> That'd be a good idea. Uh, a Goofy Movie 3, Wes, I hear, is looking for oh. some pitches. No, just kidding. Um, so, Kevin, we we want to keep this pretty low-key, pretty fun, um, and and uh, we don't want to be like a, a professional interview. This isn't a newspaper or nothing. We're just a couple of guys who love some of your work and uh, want to have a fun discussion about some of the projects you've done over the years. Great. So, Wes, you want to start us out? We usually start out our interviews with a, some quick-fire questions that are just, mm-hmm. you know, low-stress, fun, get you thinking a little bit, uh, let let our, our audience get to know you just a little bit better before we get into 
Okay. Some of the some of the meteor yeah, questions. Let, let's see how I do. All right. Okay. All right. All right. So, what was your favorite TV show growing up? Oh my! I wish I I wish I had an answer for you. I was a I was a pretty um, vivacious uh, um, consumer of Saturday morning television when I was a kid. Um, some of my favorites were like, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is I adored this show called Wacky Racers. Yeah. Uh, heard of this thing, mm-hmm. but uh, Dick Dastardly. Yep. And um, I just love that show. I never missed that show. I was, you know, I was really attracted to a lot of specials. So things like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, mm-hmm. I never missed it. Every single solitary year, I was glued in front of my <laughs> TV for that thing. Grinch Who Stole Christmas is another one that I just had to watch. It was, you know, appointment TV for me. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Barry, do you know Wacky Racers? I have not, uh, I, but Dick Dastardly sounded familiar to me. Um, so I looked it up. Stop. Yeah, okay, so I looked it up. It's a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, yep, so that's is. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. All right. If you could hang out with a character from any movie you've been a part of, who would it be and why? From a movie that I've been a part of? Hmm. Wow. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Powerline. Yeah. Only because I know so little about him. Okay. Right. Most of the other characters in the films that I've worked on or directed, I've done pretty deep dives on who they are. And we've explored, you know, a lot of things together, a lot of ins and outs, but he's a character who has a mystery to me. I don't, I don't know who he is as a person. I love it. I There's would, a goofy movie three for you, right? I, oh, there I you go. Yeah. Power Who is Powerline? Do a Powerline movie. Hey, I would pay to go see a Powerline movie. Just saying. I would pay to go see it five times, yeah. honestly. <laughs> we, we would run so much advertising. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, so along your journey, you know, in the industry, who have you met that has starstruck you? Julie Andrews. Uh, really? Really. I was Working with Enchanted? Stuck by her. She was, um, I did these, these two ABC movies based on Eloise, um, called Eloise at the Plaza and Eloise at Christmas time. And Julie Andrews played the nanny. Mm. And when I found out that, that she was going to be a part of those films, I was just, I, I was, I was a nervous wreck to be quite honest with you. And, um, she ended up being the most wonderful person I've I've ever worked with, to be quite honest with wow. you. She'd come in every morning and say, how are you today, love? And I'd just think to myself, Mary Poppins loves me. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know how to really to deal with this. So, so I was really starstruck. I got over it because she's a wonderful person. Oh, but, she's uh, such a gem. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Julie Andrews. What a gem. All right. So, Kevin, this one is a staple that we ask every single guest. Um, do you need to use milk to make a milkshake? Well, the answer seems obvious to me, but maybe I'm just thinking about it too narrowly. Um, <laughs> is it considered a milkshake if you don't use milk? I don't know. I wouldn't I, think so. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I would think it'd be called something else, right? It'd become a fruit shake or a, or a, I don't know, something else. We, exactly. It yeah. needs milk and you need to shake it. That's why it's called Thank a fruit you. shake. 
We have a Thank friend so much. who we have a friend who thinks you can just melt your ice cream and call it a milkshake. That's called the melted ice a bowl of melted ice cream. Thank you. Exactly. Thank He's you. a despicable <laughs> human being. <laughs> he will now consider you an expert on that category. Yeah. Um, yeah. And last one. So Perry and I we're kind of obsessed with the goofy movie. Okay. And we, we gotta know if you know why are eye to eye and stand out not on any music streaming platforms? Because it kills us. They used to be. It used to be. We used to listen to it every night. <laughs> I don't know. I've I've actually I've act this this has come up a bunch. Really? Uh, yeah, I did a I did a whole Twitter sort of live Twitter thing while uh, they D twenty three did this. Uh, I don't know if you knew about it, but they did this live uh, mm -hmm. viewing party, and uh, and I live tw tweeted during it, and it was one of the questions that came up a lot. Is wow. wh how, why can't I listen to eye to eye and stand out? And I went on, you know, Apple Music and I noticed they're grayed out. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea. Oh. It's got to it's got to be some contractual reason, right? It's got to mm -hmm. got to be about money. It's the only reason, mm -hmm. right? And right. maybe the guys who wrote it are renegotiating their Disney contract. I don't know. I don't know exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'll look into it, see if I can get you an answer. Oh, man. Oh, that'd be great. I would love that. I feel like it's got to be like a Tevin Campbell thing. You got to have the CD, right? You got to have another way to listen to it, don't you? Mostly YouTube is where I we can find it. YouTube. Okay. We used yeah. to, so Perry used to have, well, I guess, Perry, you probably still have the Echo, don't you? I guess. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Perry had an Amazon Echo and we were college roommates. And every night when we would go to bed, we would say, hey, Echo, play a goofy movie soundtrack. And Eye to Eye was the first song, and it was the best part of living with him. It was much easier. <laughs> It was much easier to get it that way than saying play eye to eye because it's literally the letter I and the number two and then the letter I. So the Echo would never get it doing it, it that way. recognizes it. So we outsmarted it. So we, said, we noticed it was the first, the first track on the soundtrack. But, uh, but yeah, true story. <laughs> was that all the, uh, is that all the hot seat questions, Wes? Yes, sir. All right. I didn't all know right. you were going to ask me a bunch of hot seat questions i would have made up some for you oh oh feel free if you ever have any questions <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't have to be a one-sided interview <laughs> but i did want to ask you some questions about like how you got into the the movie business animation business to begin with um and then and then kind of go into a goofy movie a little bit yeah um but first of all like so you started out in animation so how did you how did you start thinking about uh growing up like when did you start thinking about you wanted to be in the movie business well i've always i've always drawn as long as i can remember i was you know an artist and my mother says although i don't remember this because i was five my mother says that she took me to go see the jungle book in 1967 now you know how old i am um five in 1967 and when the movie was over, there were names going up the screen. And she said, and I said, who are those people? And she said, those are the people who made this movie. And in that theater, I said to her, I'm going to make this movie when I grow up. <laughs> and I became obsessed with animation, especially Disney animation. Um, and um, it became the goal. From, from the time I was five. Now there were a couple of little diversions along the way. When I was a teenager, I, I was a puppeteer and I worked with a professional puppetry troupe. I was like an apprentice and then moved in and learned about 
you know, what it was like to be a creative, um, be in a creative collaboration with a lot of other people. And I built puppets and I did puppet shows and I directed puppet shows. And I did that through college. And I originally, my first year of college, I thought, oh, I'm going to go be an actor. I'm going to go do that whole thing. And after like three months, I said to myself, what am I doing? Why am I here doing this? I don't, I don't enjoy it. I was, I realized that I was the kind of person who liked to hide behind the things I was creating. So puppets made perfect sense for me and being an animator made perfect sense because it's, it's acting through, you know, it's hidden acting in a way, right? You're hiding behind a pencil, you're hiding behind a, a puppet. So, um, so I went right back to my track and said, okay, let's go back to animation. This is, this is where I belong. I mean, I'm going to CalArts mm. and from there it all just, uh, you know, tumbled into who I am. And that sounds that sounds like the the classic uh, the animator story. It seems like we interviewed Tom Bancroft, uh, who also went to CalArts and was drawing. And um, but yeah, that just that passion growing up of of drawing and wanting to make those animations move. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it also has to do with the fact that you know um, animation has you know attracts a lot of people who have control issues, right? <laughs> if you can control everything in animation. That's true. And um, so I think that was also part of it. You know, when I was a kid, I had, a, yeah, honestly, I had a kind of <laughs> shitty upbringing. Mm. And uh, this drawing was my way to control the world. Mm -hmm. Right? I had some control over it. Yeah. Puppets is the same thing, right? You have control over that piece, that character that you got on your hand. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I learned actually recently that you one of your first projects ever with with Disney was with Sport Goofy and Soccer Mania the short. Yeah, yeah. have you actually seen that? I I may have seen it uh, on. I used to watch all the. I don't know where it's been, but I used to watch a lot of uh, those cartoon clip shows, um, like the House of Mouse. I think all those were more more newer clips. But uh, I may may have may not. I'll have to look it up after we're done here. Um, but it just seemed cool to me that you got that goofy experience right away you know almost right. as if you were destined to direct a goofy movie based on that being what you started out with so i was wondering is that just a coincidence or have you always been a big goofy fan it's a total coincidence okay it, you know i wasn't searching out to make a movie about goofy to be quite honest with you it kind of came to me okay. so um so it's totally by coincidence um you know, I was still in school. I was a senior in college when uh, when, Goof when soccer, Goofy and sock Soccer Mania. I can't even say the word. See, I'm from Rhode Island. I can't say sock soccer. Okay. Soccer Mania. Um, <laughs> I want to say soccer. Soccer Mania. Soccer Mania. Uh, Wicked smart. <laughs> um, but um, so so it was just opportunity. So they came along. They needed some animators. They were willing to take a chance on a bunch of guys who had never done it before. Um, you know, I was just going through my basement. I found a bunch of my scenes from that, uh, that I'd animated from that. Really? Piece. And I actually, here's a nice little piece of trivia on that, on, on that piece. I worked for Chris Buck. He was Chris my Buck. directing animator. And then later Chris Buck and I, we stayed, we were friends. We became okay. friends. And then he and I directed Tarzan together. Right. To be my co-director on Tarzan. So that's awesome. Small little world. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So f after that, you is that when you got asked to have a full time job with Disney? No, I actually um, 
my year when I graduated from school was the first year that Disney hired no one. So everybody goes to CalArts wow. wanting, to, wanting to go to Disney. And uh, that was the natural progression. And that's why you fought so hard, hard mm -hmm. to, you know, to be as good as you could be because you wanted a gig at Disney. And they didn't hire anybody. So we all had to go out into the world and find, uh, find gigs. Mm. So the first thing I did professionally out of school was I worked um, on the Brave Little Toaster. Mm. Yeah, okay. If you know that, if you know that. I movie. do. So I designed a lot of the incidental characters in that movie. So a lot of animals, a lot of mishmash uh, appliances, a lot of uh, the evil appliances in the, in the apartment. I designed all of that. And then I went to Taiwan mm -hmm. for, I want to say, seven months. Lived in Taiwan as an animator on the movie. So they brought over like eight of us, I think. And um, we all produced the movie there. Wow. And then I came home. And not long after that. Yeah, Just, it wasn't originally a Disney one, right? piece. Yeah, and they bought it. Yeah. They bought it. It never got a theatrical release. Wow. I've yeah. seen at least I know they have a couple sequels, so I can't I can't for sure tell you that I've seen the one you've worked on, but I've definitely seen some Brave Little Toaster. I don't know, Wes, have you seen some Brave Little Toaster movies? Yes, yes, yes. Definitely yeah. a definitely a staple. Uh, when I was about five or six, I was one of my favorites. So I animated that scene um, in Brave Little Toaster, the first one, where the where the and I've I've always taken great pride in this, where the basically the lamp asks the toaster if he's gay. Um, because he says, so what's this thing between you and the blanket? <laughs> and I got to animate that scene. I was, I was, I'm pretty proud of it. That's awesome. <laughs> so then you came back. Eventually, you did get a job with Disney because you started working on uh, Oliver and Company, right? I did, yeah. So when I came back, I worked on a, developed a bunch, a couple of things that never made it into production. With the director Jerry Reese of um, Brave Little Tuster, and then I went and worked on the Chipmunk movie. Oh, uh, Chipmunk Adventure, is what it was called. And Glenn Keane, who I hope you know that name, the, the legend himself. The, yes, is, is a legendary animator. Um, I was working for him. He had left Disney for a little bit, and I was working under him. And he said, "You know what? You should put your portfolio in at Disney." And I said, "Well, I did." And they they didn't want me. They just, you know, they rejected all of us actually. Um, and he said, do it again. I'm thinking about going back and uh, I think you should be there. So I put together another portfolio and got hired. Wow. So I started on, I actually started when I was there developing because they weren't ready to animate on Oliver and company yet. Okay. And so I developed some Kirk Wise and I, one of the, he's one of the directors of Hunchback of Notre Dame and, Beauty and the Beast. Um, mm -hmm. We were roommates um, right out of school. We were good friends in school. And um, we started by doing, we were developing some Winnie the Pooh shorts in like 1987. And then I went on to design characters for The Little Mermaid. So I designed all of the Under the Sea characters and all of the Kiss the Girl characters. Really? A lot of the characters who were at the big... Uh, you know, that orchestra, um, yeah. the whole orchestra at the very beginning designed so all fish, that. the fish, the crabs. Yeah, and the, all that stuff. All yeah, those the, things. The, you know, the, the, all that stuff. Um, and then I went on to Oliver and Company as a animator. 
and I animated Fagin in mm. Glenn Keane's unit. Okay. Yeah. Fagin, was that one of the dogs? No, Fagin is the the bumbling bad guy who works for Sykes. Ah, he, yes. Okay. Human guy. Yeah. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. I have seen that movie one time, and it was it was actually pretty recently, last year. Uh-huh. But uh, but I don't have the characters' names engraved in my mind yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not not one of the Oliver and Company, not one of the gems of the Disney animation uh, lineup. But then after that, it moved on to The Little Mermaid and uh, yeah. Rescuers Down Under. You worked a little bit on that as well, correct? So I I was a character designer after after animating on Oliver and Company. I decided, you know, this is just too too much for me being behind a desk twenty four hours a day. Just couldn't do it. I needed to do something that was more social. So, and I also, because I had done puppets and had directed my own stuff, I was so eager kind of to be in the, be with the, 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 the group of folks who were actually sort of building the movie. Actually, what is mm-hmm. the movie going to look like? And what's the story? That was the whole piece of it that I was really interested in. So I went in, I did character design on The Rescuers Down Under. So, like, do you guys know that movie? Have you watched oh, that? Yeah. Oh, I actually am a so, big fan of Rescuers Down Under. So all the animals that are in the cages, I designed all those animals. I designed all the mice that go to the UN meeting. Um, and then I moved on to um, Aladdin. And I was a storyboard artist on Aladdin. So, okay. Nice. And I jumped back and forth in the visual development a little bit, and I had worked on Aladdin very, very beginning of Aladdin before Ron and John, I think, were even a part of it, um, the two directors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was developing it with with Alan Menken and um, Howard Ashman mm. very, very early with the right, very right, early right. songs. And yeah, that was a lot of fun. And this was, was Howard at this point, was he, was he sick yet or... Um, was this early on? Um, I think he, yeah, he was, he was sick, but he didn't tell anybody. Okay. Yeah. Cause I knew that I think Aladdin was one of his last projects. Um, it was, and ultimately he passed away before it, it went into production. So right. yeah. Well, Aladdin is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, I, it actually is my, probably my favorite Disney animated movie. And Wes, I know it's one of his mm-hmm. favorites as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the genie is amazing, but you know everything else in that movie is pretty awesome, right? right. Uh, as well. But uh, I was actually curious. You mentioned your wife Brenda. Um, yeah. At what point did you you guys meet? She's obviously very accomplished in animation and as well directing, uh, co-directing the Prince of Egypt and a variety of other films. But that particular is one of my my favorites. Um, so yeah, what point did you guys meet? We met in school. Okay. So I was a senior and she was a freshman, although we're the same age. She started CalArts much later than okay. me. And um, we were married in 1987. We were working on Rescuers Down Under. Um, yeah. And then we've had, yeah. we've had pretty parallel careers, cool. right? Both, both pursuing directing and she just she just um, finished her first live action movie. Ooh. Recently. Wow! Which one was yeah. that? It's called uh, "Come Away." Okay. It is. Uh, it's got Angelina Jolie, and it's about um, what if um, Peter from Peter Pan and Alice from Alice in Wonderland were brother and sister, 
And the reason that they go off into their into their fantasy worlds is because of a family tragedy. Oh wow. So really? It's pretty heavy. Pretty heavy movie. You think it'd be like great fun for kids, but it's it's pretty dramatic. Wow. Um, and so she just finished that and they're out to uh, you know, they're actually looking to get set up um you know, a a, a company a distributor. distribute. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is that planning to go theatrical? Or just or no, I guess the plan. to the highest that's bidder. The if plan. the highest bidder is Netflix, so then it may not exactly. be, but exactly. And it's a small independent movie, right? It's not a big right. extravaganza. So selling those kind of movies in today's market is a little difficult. Well, that sounds really interesting, and I'll definitely keep an eye out for it. Harry, for that sure. sounds like a date night for you and me. Just so. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I think we just grab all the boys, man. Saturday night, go watch an Angelina Jolie movie. <laughs> Um, so leading into a goofy movie then, which is obviously what we're here mostly to talk about because we have, we just talk about goofy movies so much on the the show. (laughs) Um, what was the transition like from going from animator, character designer into now you're directing a movie? Um, it was what I wanted to do, right? It's what I felt like was the next step for me because I had directed puppets and all that stuff. I had directed uh, while I was doing Aladdin, I had directed Into the Woods, a stage community, stage version of it. Okay. And um, it was sort of felt like the next step. So I asked if I could be put on the roster to be one of the directors at Disney. And they said, no, um, that there was basically, I said, there's no room. We've got, we're booked for the next five, 10 years. We know. You know, we know it's going to come down. So I said, uh, all right, then I'm going to leave. Go search for an opportunity. So I left. Um, went out into the world to look. I worked at a company called Hyperion. They made um, Bebe's Kids. You know that? Or the Itsy mm. Bitsy Spider television show? You know, um, I've heard of Hyperion, but not those shows. So those are their big their big releases. Okay. Um, they, they also did the Brave Little Toaster all those years. Yeah, Broke. yeah. So, um, so I worked for them for a little while and then I was doing a freelance job for Jerry Reese, who was my director on Brave Little Toaster. And he was, he had committed to develop, I think what was called then the Goof Troop movie. And I was doing some freelance storyboards and, you know, working out like Max getting up in the morning and brushing his single buck tooth on the <laughs> time, did a whole sort of set of storyboards on that. And then Jerry decided to go follow some other, you know, another opportunity. And they were looking for a director and they asked, they said, Kevin, would you be interested in doing this? And I jumped at the opportunity because that's really what I wanted to be doing. Um, So it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't that hard to, to make the transition just because I was kind of already doing it as a storyboard artist. I was in all of those meetings where you talked about, you know, managing a story, how to, you know, what is the process, allowing it to be organic, um, how to be collaborative, you know, with a team, Mm -hmm. how to, how to include your team in, in the making of a movie. So although some things were new, like being in the booth, working with actors was new Mm -hmm. for me. I had worked with actors before, so it was, wasn't that hard, but actually just the, you know, learning the interface. Um, so the transition wasn't that hard. And I'll tell you, I dove in with everything I had. I wanted it so desperately. 
was so, I was one of those guys that said like, if I'm not directing a movie by the time I'm 32, I'm going to kill myself. I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's nuts <laughs> even to say that. But I think yeah. it was really just motivation. You know, I'm just going to yeah. grab hold of this. I'm going to make this happen. I have to make this happen. Um, so, so yeah, so I dove in and took it on and it was hard. You know, there's nothing easy about it. We were making it for a real price. So we were, I think we spent about $19 million on it when, you know, the Lion King at that time was being made for over a hundred million. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were the small little, you know, little engine that could. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and at this point, this is this this is a Disney owned studio that you're working for, but it's not the main studio. I, I don't know yeah. if at this point they had renamed it to Disney Tune or if it was still Disney Movie Tunes, but it was, I believe, the third film uh, of that studio. And, and the animators yeah. were all over the world, right? Like well, you were getting was, pieces um, from we, everywhere. We did all of the we did all the pre production, which were the storyboards and editing and recording in Burbank, California. Okay. So all of that was done there. And then there was a studio in France, in Paris, called Disney Paris. And um, they had done, I think, the DuckTales movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know what else they had done before that. They had done some TV. They had done a lot of TV work there. And uh, this was going to be animated there. So I moved to Paris for a year, lived in Paris, and worked with that group. And we produced the movie there. We, we ran into some, some issues with finishing. We couldn't get the movie done. So we pulled in the Disney Australia group and they did the, the concert at the end. So they did the Powerline concert in Australia. And we sent some cleanup to Toronto. So okay. we were making this movie all over the world. And I had to learn not only how to make a movie, but how to make a movie. And before we had the internet, Really, so I couldn't get on Zoom with anybody. <laughs> yeah, true. Just, and just direct, you know, mailing person person. things back and forth. Yeah. yeah, I was mailing stuff. I was making videotapes of myself. In fact, it's uh. weird, very weird to watch the movie sometimes because I can see my performance in like Max, especially Max really? acts like me a lot because I was sending videotapes to the artists, going like, you know, beat it, doofus, and like <laughs> acting it out for them, and and then they would, uh, you know. And they would look at the videotape and mimic what I had done. Um, yeah. So it was like live action reference in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we just figured out how to do it, how to, you know, how to share material, how to, how to direct from afar. Yeah. So, so, so with, uh, with the Powerline concert at the end, a good, a really good friend of mine, I went to school with named Steve Moore. Um, I asked him to actually go to Australia and be my eyes on the ground. So he supervised, he, he, he supervised, directed that sequence there. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. So you're telling me that Powerline might just be Australian. <laughs> I, I don't think he's Australian. <laughs> okay. That's like saying Goofy and Max are French. Okay. That's a valid I- <laughs> point. <laughs> I don't think they are. Um, speaking of Goofy and Max, uh, did you feel the need to familiarize yourself a lot with some of the source material for Goofy, especially Goof Troop, but even some of the older Goofy cartoons leading into that, you know, there might, did you feel any like pressure on like not to mess up one of the core Disney characters? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, these characters don't get their own movies often. Right. Right. So, so there's a responsibility, but at the same time, I wanted to, 
I wanted to have the character grow and do something with him that had never been done before. So I really, I saw the opportunity to, to explore kind of the, the more emotional side of the character. Yeah, he's a complete goof, but at the same time, there's, there's something real happening beneath the surface of all that. So, so that became my big goal is how do I make, how do I make goofy? And some may disagree with it. Some, some mm. people may. And I think when the movie first came out, critics were saying, this isn't the goofy I remember, you know, because there was all those levels of emotion. And some of my friends were kind of pissed off at me for having made a movie like this. That wasn't, you know, to the letter, just speaking to the classic, you know, goofy cartoons. Um, but I wanted to balance it. Um, the other thing I really wanted to do was I thought, I want to make something contemporary. I want to make something that speaks to today and how kids were living today and families were, you know, existing, well, 1995 today. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so I, so I went out of my way to try to make like something that felt urban, that felt like, you know, one of the things I remember saying was how do we make, um, you know, a, a John Hughes movie in animation, John Hughes directed home alone. And, okay all the breakfast club and all that stuff. Um, so I wanted to do something that spoke to kids and how kids were interacting, you know, now, as opposed yeah. to folding the whole thing in fairy tale or in yesterday. Yeah. So, so I think Wes would agree with me when I say that I think that's why it has had such a longevity is because you gave it that emotion. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, Wes, you're a, also is probably you would say because of the music, but uh, great. a, a father son story will never go out of style. Right. Right. We, we all, you know, we've all had a father, a parent. Mm -hmm. We've all, we've all felt like our parents are idiots and <laughs> yep. that, you know, we want to break away from them at some point. Mm -hmm. It's just the natural way things happen. And from the parent side, you know, it, it hurts to lose your kid, you know, so you're exploring both sides of this. And, you know, hopefully most of us come out the other side of that experience, those years, having a deeper understanding for each other. Right. Yeah. And yeah. we're going to do that for the end, you know, till the end of time. Right. Yeah. It was such a great, just another level of goofy that nobody's experienced. And it, and, I haven't seen every single episode of Goof Troop, but it still goes even a level deeper than what I've seen of Goof Troop, which is Goof Troop's that funny, lighthearted um, cartoons, but then you get to the Goofy movie and you're exploring a whole level deeper into their relationship. Yeah, um, and I have to hold an audience for 75 minutes, right? I'm mm -hmm. not just giving you a 15-minute cartoon. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I have to grab you. I have to hold on to you. I have to, I have to ask you to invest so how do we do that? And that's by finding some deeper level of meaning. Right. Love it. And have great music. And have great music. <laughs> and have great music. When did the music come come into the script? Was it always there or was it, was it always, always going, going to be, be a musical? Music. Okay. Yeah, it's always going to be a musical. Um, and it didn't always have the form it, it has now. And we tried a lot of different things and exploring mm -hmm. how the music fit in. Um, so, you know, we knew that they were going to end up at a concert at the end. So we knew we needed a song at the end. We didn't know when we first started that he was going to lip sync 
mm-hmm. to to his favorite artists, you know, singers' uh, song in the middle. Right, we right. Covered that as we went, and then that became okay. Here's another place to 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 put Powerline in the piece. Um, so you know, most of these movies they evolve. It's more like it's more like sculpting clay, mm. like soft clay, right? So so you try some things, you put some stuff on. If it doesn't work, you rip it off. You try something else, you remold it. And so the whole thing has sort of an organic growth and you kind of have to let that happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having the, the, the confidence to actually sit back and allow the movie to become what it needs to be is I think one of the great skills of being an animation director. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I heard this movie in particular had a lot of remolding, reshaping, uh, re-recording, uh, actually, I heard a rumor that Jeffrey Katzenberg, who had his hands all over Disney's uh, animation department in general, and this movie in particular, originally wanted Steve Martin to voice Goofy instead of Bill Farmer. Is that is this a true rumor that it's I've been hearing? It's a little bit more complicated than that. Okay. But um, yeah, Jeffrey didn't pay much attention to us for a while, and then suddenly there we were, um, mm. you know, almost fully fully finished. And he wanted... So we recorded everything with Bill Farmer and he didn't like it. He thought that it was too cartoony and it was too broad and that nobody would ever invest in the character. (laughs) So he told me that he wanted Steve Martin to play the role and I fought him. um, (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Ultimately what I had to do was go into the sessions with Bill and I did say, okay, we'll try to find a deeper level of emotion in the story. And so he did something good did come out of his request. And I went into the studio with Bill and we re-recorded the entire movie with Bill using his voice, just his normal voice, not doing the goofy voice mm-hmm. in an attempt to find something that was, you know, had some deeper resonance. So we did that. I cut a couple of sequence with it. I said, we're not doing this. I'm probably, you know, if, if Jeffrey makes us do this, I'm going to leave the movie. I, I can't do this to, to Goofy. This is ridiculous. And so I showed some stuff to Jeffrey and I said, I don't want to do this, but I do think that I can get some deeper emotion from, from Bill based on having gone through this exercise. And then we went back in and recorded, we recorded certain sections of the movie trying to heighten the emotion trying to get some real pathos into the piece. And we did. It made the movie better. So although I didn't like the solution, right, which was recast it with Steve Martin, seemed ridiculous to me, (laughs) um, something good did come of it. So Jeffrey pushing for deeper, you know, deeper emotional context helped helped the film. So... Yeah, and we did, you know, we also changed a bunch of things as we went. We just did. The original script had a couple that went on the journey, went on the same parallel journey that Max and Goofy went on. And um, they were named Trini and Wendell. And in fact, you know them from The Open Road. They're the couple that's going on a odd romantic episode. Yep. Yep. And (laughs) she ends up being the background singer Mm -hmm. during the Powerline concert. That's the same woman. Oh, and okay. and actually, you can see Wendell. Her husband is a is a roadie. Is loading up, throws the 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 guitar case and the drum case into the into the into the concert venue, 
so he's a roadie and she's the background singer. Um, and there was a time where they went on a parallel journey to Max and Goofy. And every place that they went, Max and Goofy were there and Goofy inadvertently beat the <laughs> Just pummeled her. Yeah. And we thought when we were doing the boards that it was funny. We were all laughing our heads off. And the first time we showed the movie to anybody, <gasps> put it up on reels and looked at it, it was awful. Oh my gosh. It was so misogynistic and uh-huh. it was just dreadful. Nobody laughed. I didn't laugh. And we said, okay, we need to do some surgery here. And we pulled them out of the movie. And, yeah. um, so now you get them at the beginning and the end. She was, Trini was voiced by Pat Carroll, who was Ursula. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. She gets a credit because she put in a whole lot of work. Yeah. And all, all that's left to, I think now is, yeah, it's all that's left of her performance. <laughs> um, and so, you know, so these movies just change like that, you know. Yeah. Um, Joey, do you know who Joey Lawrence is? Why do I He's know that name? Global television act. Uh, boy, what would you know him from? I think I he was in, I want to uh, say he was in Blossom. One of those kind of shows. Um, Jenna Vinoy is another one of those actors from that okay. era. They're all over television. Maybe you could look it up quick and tell me. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking oh, so it maybe. up. I need to know this because I've heard the name. Okay, where's this movie? So while you look it up, I'll tell you that uh, Joey played a character named Chad. Okay. Chad was a, um, you know, um, was also hitting on Roxanne and wanted Roxanne to go to the power line, uh, the, the, the party that they're all having to watch it on television. Okay. And he became sort of like this, this motivation for Max to lie. And what we ultimately discovered was that we were just carrying too many characters. Yeah. Now you can see Chad in the beginning. He, he's the, the, the blonde headed mm-hmm. kid with the vest and the white t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And then he asks Roxanne to go to the party. He leans over her chair, says, Hey Roxanne. Um, and that was a much bigger character as well uh-huh. in the movie. And he's the one in After Today, right? Leaning up against the fence? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Harry and I were talking about Chad yesterday, wasn't it? Yesterday. Yeah, yeah. We mentioned Chad yesterday. I thought How did I was you so... even know his name? So we I was listening to your D twenty three stream. Okay. The the thirty minute like before everybody was watching on the twenty fifth anniversary, which by the way, congratulations. Twenty five years and that's still yeah, like as popular years. as it's ever been. Um, it is. It's kinda remarkable. Yeah, it's just really hitting on our generation, I feel like, a- another way. Um, but anyway, yeah, you definitely mentioned Chad and how um, how that was, like, more of a storyline early in production. And I was like, that's really interesting. Right. Um, Goofy also had a boss at one point named Don. And he had a whole different job. And Don sang this song called Born to be Bad, I think was the name of it. And uh, basically laid out sort of this horror scenario of, of his son, you know, uh, Max becoming a juvenile delinquent. Uh, and uh, He's going to wind up in the electric chair. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> While and Sean was perfect. Taking the, taking the place of it. We realized okay. we didn't have to sing a four-minute four song in order to do it. We just had to have, you know, one line, basically. Yeah, so yeah. Exactly everything we needed to know. So I did look up Joey Lawrence. I've heard his voice from Oliver and Company. He's Oliver. Right. He's the so, cat. 
Yes. Um, but yes, you're right. Joey Russo in the Blossom TV series. Um, he's in Brotherly Love uh, TV series. And then even more like recently, he's been in like Melissa and Joey, Hawaii Five-0. Look him um, up. You'll, you know, when you look at his picture, you go, oh, I've yeah. seen that guy a bunch yeah, of times. Yeah, he's, he's definitely yeah. a staple. What was the other thing I learned from your uh, D23 stream was, uh, I think it was Rob Paulson mentioned that you guys were called, or that the voice actors were called in 30 or 40 times for recording sessions throughout process of, of recording the movie. Is that is that uh, a particularly large amount? I'm not entirely sure, but he, he mentioned it as if like it's, it's way more than usual. I think for like, um, for Goofy and Max, it was probably that many times. Okay. Um, it's not unusual for main characters to okay. come in 30 times to record. And sometimes you're recording, you know, a whole day's worth of work. So you'll do like four, two four-hour sessions. Um, that's not ideal, but mm. you'll do a four-hour session. And sometimes you come in and you just need to pick up two lines in order to put no. something into animation. So it's not, it's not so unusual. Well, did you ever imagine 25 years later and we'd still be talking about it mm-hmm. when you were making the film? No, never, never. In fact, when it was when it was completed, it didn't do that well in theaters, actually. Didn't make a lot of money. Um, Disney didn't support it like they supported their other big movies. Um, and I think, I forget what it is. I think it was like 37 million, this first release. You know, mm-hmm. we only made it for 19, so makes all the difference Mm -hmm. but um but when it was over i thought okay all right we made a good little movie that we can all be proud of but no one's paying attention Mm. yeah and then home video happened and we noticed okay something's happening here this thing is like selling like gangbusters on vhs and then what really happened when i started to notice it was maybe maybe seven years ago it kept popping up everywhere people kid guys especially guys around your age maybe a little bit older than you guys started talking about how it's their favorite movie i did some i did some auditions with actors on um on another movie i was doing and they found out i worked on a goofy movie and they went out of their minds wow. <laughs> started like quoting the movie <laughs> and I thought, this is weird. Okay, so something's going on here. And then probably four years ago, we did a we did a screening, the El Capitan Theater. They did like I think a week of screenings. In the opening night, we did a little Q and A beforehand, and the place was packed. Wow. It was just wow. packed, and we were shocked. And I went down and sat in the audience, and it was like watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Honestly. Everybody knew all the lines. They were talking back to the screen. People were singing, getting up in the aisles and dancing. And it was kind of remarkable. And I realized in that moment, okay, something's happened here. This has become a real cult classic. Yes, it has. Disney Disney wasn't paying any attention to it. And then they did this in one of their small theaters at one of their D23 conventions. They did a little goofy movie thing. Tevin Campbell came out at the end and sang Eye to Eye. It was great. And (laughs) they only had 400 seats and had to turn away 400 people. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Twice as many people tried to get into the room. And that's when they realized, that's when the Disney studios started to say, 
oh, we haven't been paying attention to this. And that's when all of the, all of this new, um, you know, um, merchandise started happening. So t-shirts started happening. Mm -hmm. that, that, that Funko Pop figure mm -hmm. came out. I was so happy when that happened. I was so, <laughs> so, because it was a movie that nobody really talked about or cared about. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, this is the movie that's just going to propel me into my next movie. Right? It was an opportunity. But it by now, now it is my most talked about movie. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I mean it's yeah, remarkable. That's, it really that's is pretty remarkable. incredible. That's pretty incredible. It's definitely one of our favorites for sure. Um, but also one of our favorites uh is Tarzan, which uh was your next movie that How you old were you when Disney. Tarzan came out, nineteen ninety nine? Uh I was I was three, but you know, uh, I got really into animation at w during my teen years and, and even into uh -huh. my 20s. Yeah. And so Tarzan has become a, a staple. Last last year, I watched every single Disney animated movie so that I oh, could. Holy. Yeah, I know. It's, it was it was my like New Year's resolution, you know, just <laughs> so that I didn't have to do anything like lose weight or anything. I could just watch all the Disney movies. <laughs> But yeah, so that I could rank them all, and Tarzan ended up in my top ten of all of them. So oh, Tarzan is phenomenal as well. Wes, before I ask him a couple of Tarzan questions, mm -hmm. do you have any any questions about a goofy movie that that I missed? How did you think of Lester's Possum Park? How did we think of it? And you're the voice um, of Lester, right? I am. Who's your favorite <laughs> possum? Me, <laughs> um, howdy, folks. In we thought of it because we wanted, they were going on a cross country trip and we thought we wanted to stop at one of those <laughs> roadside attractions. I love it. Uh -huh. What could it be? And we just started brainstorming what that could be. We came up with less, we came up with a, a possum park. I don't know how. Um, and then we said, what if we made it sort of a send up of the Country Bear Jamboree yes. in you know, Disney World and Disneyland? And I love that ride. I've always ride that show, I've always loved that show. And I thought, well, let's have some fun with this. <laughs> and we kind of made it like its own little theme park, right? Like a mm -hmm. miniature Disneyland in a way. Walk around characters, get your picture taken with possums, you know, wear possum merchandise, all that kind of stuff. And just have it be kind of like crap, right? Have every <laughs> single piece of it just be a knockoff what we all love. <laughs> yeah. So that's how, that's how that came to be. And people laughed. And because they laughed, we said, let's not mess with it. Let's just keep it. Let's not try to find someone else, uh -huh. you know, to make it happen. And then as the MC, we got Pat Buttram. You know yes. Pat Buttram? Yes. From all, you know, that great old actor. Robin Hood um, and yeah, all those, yeah, right? Robin Hood. Oh! You know? <laughs> and so we tried to get all those kind of people to come and do little cameos. He came in and did one. He does one line. Right. For us. He's the MC, right? Yeah. yeah, he's the MC. Yeah, I saw him in the yeah. in the IMDb, and I was like, "What, Pat Butcher?" Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. But yeah, moving on to Tarzan. So, was it any different directing a movie for like the feature Walt Disney Animation Studios uh, out of Burbank um, than doing Goofy Movie with Disney Tune? Yeah, it was very different. Was it? You know, the goal's the same. What you're trying to do is tell a tell a you know an engaging story with interesting characters. That's still the same. 
Um, what's different about it is that they are like a repertory company, right? So they're a group of people who go from movie to movie to movie. So, so it's a different dynamic. You're working with a different kind of, you know, a different kind of animator. You're trying, you know, you're, you're, you're feeding into their strengths. Oh, this guy's really good with women. This guy's really, really great with action. This, you know, so you're, so, so, so you're casting in a whole different way. I mean, honestly, it's a, you know, like anything, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a big group of egos. Mm-hmm. So you're managing that, those waters. Um, there's more resources. There's more, you know, there's more money. Everyone's working at the top of their game. Goofy movie was, you know, was us just like with scotch tape putting together a movie. This was an engine that runs like at the top, at top efficiency. Mm-hmm. So you fit into that differently as a director, right? So I was a director on Goofy Movie. It was all about vision and holding on to that vision and making sure that, you know, you 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 achieve the goal at the end of the day. And that's harder to do at Disney Feature Animation because yeah. you've got a lot of people who want to have a piece of that pie. They don't necessarily want to do what you want to do. And I've, I ran into it a bunch of times. I, I butted heads a bunch of people because I wanted it to be a certain way as a director and they wanted it to be a different way. So I, you know, <laughs> it wasn't always the happiest of circumstances. <laughs> Made a beautiful movie. I love yes, the movie. Absolutely. It's, it's actually a gorgeous movie. But it was hard. It was hard for me. And you were co-directing you know, I, this and time. I became a co- what? I said, and you were co-directing this time, right? And, it's a code, and I'm a co-director this time because um, the, way, the way this all happened was Jeffrey Katzenberg gave me the book when I was finishing Goofy Movie. And he said, I want you to do this as your next movie, Tarzan. I read the book and I was like, there. I'm like, yes, I love primates. I've always loved primates. I'm there. I'm doing this. And he wanted to do it. He wanted to open up a new studio in Vancouver, Canada. Wow. And he wanted Tarzan to be their very first movie. And I went back to him and I said, I don't know how to do this because, you know, we could barely animate Goofy. I can't imagine us having to animate a naked man. Mm-hmm. That's maybe the hardest thing you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. And um, at that moment, Jeffrey got in his big, got into a big war with Michael Eisner and Jeffrey went off and formed DreamWorks. And Jeffrey tried to get me to go and do the Prince of Egypt with him. And so now he had given me Tarzan and I was all like jazz to make Tarzan. And Michael Eisner said, we'll make Tarzan at feature animation. So I said to Jeffrey, I said, I really appreciate the offer, but, but you know, you gave me this thing and you know, it's in me now. I have to go make this. And Disney feature animation would not do, would not take on a single director. I had done it they would not take on me, they wouldn't take me on as a single director. So I went searching for co-director, someone I shared a sensibility with. And that ended up being Chris Buck. Okay. Yeah. And he did a great job and the movie's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It's a fantastic movie. You know, it's one of the things, one of the things I'm the most proud of in all the movies I've made is the opening of Tarzan, that first five minutes. It's because mm-hmm. we told, we told so much story with a kick-ass song and no dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really sets the tone. It, it's pretty remarkable. So, yeah, I'm very proud of that opening. 
it's definitely like it definitely sets the tone as in like this isn't your happy-go-lucky disney fairy tale you know right right this is much deeper than that some people are gonna die yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it has also has great music another one of the phenomenal music scores in a disney movie at what point did you know that you were bringing in phil collins to do the music towards the beginning trying to figure out how we were going to put you know use music in the movie i'm a big fan of musical theater i love musical theater did it when i was a puppeteer all those things were musicals so uh so we so we had the choice of are we going to do this with music without music and i said no i think we should use music always wanted to do a big disney film with music and um, we had to then just sort of decide how we were going to do it. And I couldn't imagine a naked man sitting on a tree branch singing his I Want song. So we had to find another way. And so the idea came up, well, why don't we use a, a pop artist to be like the narrative voice of the character, like the internal mm-hmm. journey. He sings the internal journey. And then we went out looking for who that person could be. I remember we looked at... Um, uh, what's his name? Peter Gabriel, mm-hmm. um, Sting, and, okay. and Phil Collins. And because Phil Collins, the heartbeat of a Phil Collins song is drums, that was a way for us to differentiate ourselves from The Lion King. Mm-hmm. Right? Lion King's a vocal-based movie. He was at first a little like, I'm not sure about this. How's that all going to work? And we went to, Chris and I went to Geneva, Switzerland met with him and uh, I'll tell you right away, we were coming up with ideas about where songs could, could fit, how they could live. Wow. And when we finally sat down with him and went through the movie, this is where we think and would like the songs to be. This is what some titles of songs might be. He came back within days with five songs. <laughs> wow. Cause he just connected to it. He just connected to the heartbeat of the film. And yeah. those five songs have like content but they were like the basis of all of all the songs we ultimately put in the movie. Yeah, and I'd say that Phil Collins's work in that movie is is probably the most like deep. So like, there's five really really quality songs that are absolutely bangers even today. You know, like a yeah. lot of a lot of movies yeah. you have like one or two. Like even Frozen, which is well known for its music. I don't know if it has the the full deep lineup of songs that Tarzan does. So it worked out really well. That also has to do with they're carrying all the emotional content of the piece, right? Mm -hmm. So they're giving you the internal journey of the character. And I think that's, that ultimately means something that that, that's why they all have some, some real grab. Yeah. Uh, Wes, I know you wanted to ask him a couple questions about enchanted and uh, working with Amy Adams, right? Oh, what was it like working with Amy Adams? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a dream. And she she's she's an incredible actress. Yeah. And there's no doubt that that character came alive in her hands. Mm-hmm. And she she understood that character from the very first time she walked into an audition. She's remarkable. She's just remarkable. She's great. Her, yeah. Her 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 faculty, her facility, her ability to to create deep character is, I find, overwhelming. Yeah. Even when she's dealing with a cartoon character, mm-hmm. you know, she's playing a cartoon character come to life. But she finds that journey, that honest journey in the character. Just, I had, I think, I had like a hundred and 
I didn't tell anybody. I had a hundred and one temperature. I was really sick. And we almost canceled the sessions and she came in and I forgot that I was sick. We were doing 15 minute auditions and I did a 45 minute audition with her and forgot that I was ill because she was that good. She was that good. And I was so happy to, to, to have, to have that person walk into that room because we had seen a lot of people at that point and Mm I, I didn't know really what I was going to do. And the studio was pushing me to hire a big known actress Mm -hmm. in the role. And my feeling was, I want to hire someone who nobody knows so that you believe in the character first and foremost. Mm. Character comes to life. It's not, you're not watching an actor be a cartoon character. It is that cartoon character coming to life. Yeah. The studio came in and I just sent them the tape. I just said, mm-hmm. this is the girl. She walked into the room. And uh, yeah, she worked hard. She worked really, really hard on that movie. It was it was not an easy movie for any of us, really. Yeah, she, uh, you know, she pulled it off like gangbusters. That's so cool. I do I do all my movies with her, if I could. Wow, that's high praise. She's remarkable. She's remarkable. Uh, Perry and I were talking. What was it like to blend live action and animation and animation with a movie like Enchanted? Like, was it hard or was it was it hard? Was it trippy or well, it's a dream for me right because i had done some live action movies mm-hmm. and done some animated movies you know before i did enchanted i did 102 dalmatians with glenn close so and i had done those two eloise movies so for me it was a dream because i got to bring both of the things i love together into one movie um the hardest piece of it wasn't wasn't like make like like, like producing either half of it it was a the blend. How do you create that blend? How do I, you know, Amy comes to life. She's an animated character who comes to life. So how does she carry some of the animation with her? How do we make sure that the animation is affected by her performance? Mm-hmm. So I did like, for the animated sequences, we did some test animation, which I showed to Amy. And Amy, I remember Amy talking about how she got the idea to float of the character as a human mm-hmm. from watching the test animation. And then I shot a whole bunch of live action reference for the animated sequences with Amy so that there would be that natural flow from one to the, mm-hmm. to the other. So that was maybe the hardest piece of it. And getting actors to commit to the, 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 the depth of character and then an animated character has. There's a sense that, you know, oh, they're just cartoons. Mm-hmm. My sense was, no, these characters are as committed to their reality, right, as a cartoon character or as a human. Yeah, That's their reality. That's what they understand. So you need to bring that, you know. So, you know, that was the day-to-day work. How, how, how much do you lean towards cartoon? How much it becomes real? Where does it sort of segue? How does it segue? If you notice Amy's performance, she goes from Pinky's Raised as the, as the cartoon character and becomes more real. Her hands are suddenly by her side. Mm. And that's something that she planned throughout the entire piece. I'm talking about it, something we've talked about happening. Um, Benson thinks too. If you look at her costumes, where she starts and where she ends, 
are two totally different things, right? And she goes through all these middle phases of transition. You know, Prince Edward, on the other hand, doesn't change at all. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, doesn't bec- he doesn't embrace becoming more human. He doesn't embrace that side. He wants to go home. That's his one. So he doesn't get to change costumes. He's going to stay yeah. an animated character from beginning to end. That makes sense, yeah. You all, I mean, not just uh, not just Amy Adams. You also got to work with Idina Menzel. She was in that movie right. as well, and she's Idina right. goes on the opposite. Right. You know, right. she goes on the opposite track, and she becomes a cartoon character at the end. <laughs> she escapes the real world, the hardships did, of the real world. And did you ever lobby for uh, Giselle to become a official Disney princess? I well. I always hoped it would happen, but when you when you really get down to the specifics of it, I think people would argue that she's not a real princess unless we create some backstory because she doesn't come from royal blood, mm. right? Um, we could have made up a backstory that said, no, 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 no. The backstory of of Giselle is that she, her her mother and father were were that were killed by um, Narissa. We made something up, but it's mm. really. Adina, Nancy, who becomes a princess. Nancy marries Prince Edward and becomes a princess. She's the one who should really be in the princess line, um, mm-hmm. ultimately. But uh, just didn't happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, real quick before I let you go, I wanted to ask, because I was actually talking with uh, Jim Hill recently. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jim. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he said he he said you guys have chatted before and um he mentioned i should ask you about a project that you were working on with dreamworks called the monkeys of mumbai yes if you go check out my twitter feed now i'm actually posting a bunch of pictures from it okay telling the story and posting some of the art because when he told me that i looked it up and it looks gorgeous it's phenomenal it was a phenomenal movie um, unfortunately, it got caught in the cross the crosshairs of a of, of a company being sold. So okay. when DreamWorks was looking to sell the studio, they got you know they put they wrote off basically I don't know three hundred four hundred million dollars worth of product mm. so that they could sell the company. And unfortunately, my movie was more in the, the realm of you know a more a more serious not serious but more like how to train your dragon than like trolls. Right. A balls to the wall comedy. So my movie, which they'd spent a lot of money on tens of millions of dollars was one of those movies that just got clipped. Mm. Uh, I mean, they got rid of movies that were getting ready to be released that they had spent over a hundred, spent over a hundred million dollars on. So, so a whole bunch of people worked really, really hard. Stephen Schwartz, who wrote Wicked. Oh, um, man, yeah. And A.R. Rahman, who is a big Bollywood composer, wrote the songs. We had a cast. We were getting ready to go into... We were starting animation. So there's there's no hope that that'll ever get produced. I don't think there is. We tried. Oh, man. We tried. We tried to bring it up to studios to see if other studios would do it. We've gone back to DreamWorks time and time again. And then no one's engaged. Well, so... I think the price tag's too big, and for an outside studio, I think DreamWorks also would like a piece of the back end. So, so it just makes it too expensive to be made. And at that moment is actually when I decided I need to take control over the product that I work on. And when Brenda and I started our company, 
So we have a company now called Twas Entertainment, and we're um, we're developing our own movies. So wow, things great. that we can we can own, ultimately, or have more have more control over. Yeah, that's such a bummer, man. I I once I once Jim mentioned this, and I was hooked on the idea. I started looking into it, and that's just too bad that. Uh, you know, corporate no, politics sometimes. So, you know, if you do some digging, there's some beautiful movies out there that have never gotten made, animated movies. Yeah. That just weren't, didn't see the light of day for one reason or another. So. Yep. Well, uh, what are you working on now that uh, that you'd like, you know, to, to, to brag about a little bit? Maybe get our some of our audience really excited about? Um, anything, anything you want to give us a sneak peek? I wish I could tell you the names of things. Um, I have a project at... Netflix, a six-part um, limited series, live-action series, which we're really excited about. I can't yet, yet tell you what the name of it is. Okay, okay. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, that follows probably the most the most well-known IP in the world. tells the tells an origin story for the most well-known IP probably in the world. Okay. Um, so there's a little hint. So just leave um, leave me to guess. <laughs> You can guess who it is. Uh, your audience can guess too. And we've got a movie at uh, the Disney Channel, which we're developing right now. And we've got four or five other things that we've gone out with. Um, a couple of them, I think, have been have been actually talked about. Brendan and I wrote a script for something that I would love to do. It's probably my passion project. Um, do you know the tale of the um, the Midas Touch? The golden I do. Touch? Yes. The, Brendan the... and I wrote a wrote a script about a guy who gets cursed with. The cartoon touch. Never really? seen into a cartoon. And it's a big, it's very expensive. So that's what we've right. heard from everybody that we've sent it out to. Man, this is going to cost a huge amount of money. Um, but it combines every kind of animation in one movie. So wow. CGI, 2D, puppets, um, clay, oil painting, everything in one movie. That sounds uh, incredible. It, <laughs> I I'm just gonna I'm not giving up on this one. We're just gonna okay. keep pushing. Well, I hope I hope you get I hope you sell it because that sounds incredible. Yeah, we're hopeful. We're hopeful. So well, I've got no other questions for you, uh, Wes. You got anything else you want to ask him real quick? No, just a big thank you. Big thank you, man. Thank you You're so much so for welcome. taking the time. Thanks for I, thanks for reaching out and for for uh, you know loving the movies the way you do. Absolutely. We love the Goofy movie. We love Tarzan, Enchanted, and excited for some of the stuff that you've got coming out. Thanks so much. It was fun talking to you. Hey, guys. This is uh, this is actually Perry from the future. Um, I just want to take a second of your time before we sign this thing out. Uh, as I As I edit this episode that we recorded just a few days ago... Um, today, this afternoon, a very important and interesting thing happened. After almost two years, Standout and Eye to Eye have been added back to Spotify. Now, I've yet to confirm if this has anything to do with our conversation with Kevin Lima, but I'd like to think it'd be a really interestingly timed coincidence if it did not. So, for the sake of this argument, let's just say that we had something to do with getting eye to eye and stand out back on Spotify. All right, let's sign this thing out. Wes, until next time, stay hungry and stay humble.
and stay hydrated. <laughs> <laughs>